investing is boring, or should I say it used to be boring? Way, way, way back in the day, if you wanted to invest your money, you went to your local stocks and bonds expert, and they'd tell you to put some bread into IBM, and you'd put some bread into IBM, and you'd wait a few years, and you'd probably turn a nice little profit. A little bit less back in the day, you'd circumvent the experts and do your own research and hop on E-Trade and do a little bit of day trading. A more volatile approach, certainly, but definitely more fun. Today, what with the wide variety of alternative asset classes, it is a whole different animal. Instead of throwing money at IBM or a tech stock, which are still very viable options, mind you, you can go to a card show and get yourself a nice little Luka Doncic or Juan Soto something something, get it graded, of course, and then flip it next month or next year or next decade. Maybe you'll turn a big profit, maybe you'll turn a small profit and maybe you'll break even, but no matter what, it is way more fun than IBM. And today's guest, a big-time fancy-schmancy investing expert and a lifelong collector, knows that as well as anybody, which is why it's time to collect this. Welcome to Collect This, powered by CSG, your go-to sports card grading company. Here's your host, Alan Goldscher. Darren Herman, operating partner at Bain Capital. Operating partner sounds like a pretty good gig. <laughs> it is a fun gig. Get to uh, yeah. help our portfolio companies and, and help with some new investments. And so that's what I do here. Now, it's does, is it as impressive as it sounds? Because operating partner for a company as big as and, and as, as venerable as Bain seems like kind of a big deal. It's a good deal. It's a fun deal. You know, we... we uh, Bain Capital has been around for close to 40 years. Uh, it's about $160 billion of assets under management. And uh, we invest. It's fun. It's a good thing. Well, speaking of investing, now, um, we invest in sports cards, we invest in memorabilia, right? It used to be, not exclusively, but it used to be kind of more about collecting than investing. Am I right about that from your perspective as a lifelong collector? No. <laughs> the, the uh the the way i look at it is you can invest and make uh, pure investment decisions you can collect and make pure collect decisions but you could also do both and so the way i look at them uh, uh differently is on the investing side if you're making a pure investment you're looking for a return and so you are less emotional to the investment you're making. So whether it be a basketball, football, baseball, hockey, uh, Pokemon, uh, wrestling, or a card, you're just looking for the best investment you can make, regardless of potentially the sport or the player or the, you know, anything. If you're collecting, you probably are selecting a player, a set, a sport, uh, you know, a type of card, and you're going to go collect that. And, and maybe you're doing a one-off, maybe you're doing a rainbow, maybe you're doing a continuity thing, whatever the a set, I don't know. Um, but you're, you're going to collect, but you're doing it for the love of it. And um, most of the people I run into uh, in the hobby are, are, are both one or the other. Um, you know, 
they they buy certain cards to make some money um and then they buy cards to collect um and you know maybe those cards go straight to the pc maybe they else um but it's a combination of both but there's room for all within the hobby um and so you know i look at it both ways for me personally i would say i'm like 98 percent collector and two percent investor because i just spend all the rest of my time as an investor and i just want a place <laughs> to uh go and uh you know collect my my unique uh passions within the hobby now whether you view yourself as an investor or as a collector, um, I think you have a pretty good view uh, based on your in, in experience as a lifelong collector and as an adult long uh, investing dude. Um, have you been seeing the Venn diagram of collecting and investing uh, getting a little tighter in the middle or is it the same as we've been looking at for the last five, seven years? If it's five to seven years, I think we've seen some behavior in the hobby over the last two and a half years that would probably indicate more speculation investing type moves than collecting type move um and we can talk about that uh and uh but over the longer time horizon i believe you know it'll equal back out to the collecting and investing ratio that we had seven five or seven years ago to what you're talking about but i think we're coming in investing terms of like we call shock um or maybe an outlier period um where there was some irrational behavior within the market that we weren't used to um and now we're finding ways to balance back um or get back to uh pre pre irrational uh levels <laughs> um okay so you had said that you see things moving trending differently what do you credit that towards is it kind of a course correction yeah so you know i was the unpopular opinion way back you know two and a half years ago talking about you know how uh, the sports card industry was affected by uh, the covid bump um which was uh, a couple of confluences happening at the same time you know covid hit march 2020 most of us were all on lockdown shortly thereafter all of us were on lockdown after and we had time um and uh it, first we had time which was you know we need something positive to go do so let's go clean out our attics let's go clean out our basement let's go back to pastimes that used to give us you know smiles um and uh and i was one of those people well just before uh, but i was one of those people who got to re-explore my card collection that it was you know 35 years old at that point you know so one we unearthed cards that were in storage boxes for a very long time that used to give us you know such excitement that we got back into it with the time and and from there what we saw was increased ebay listings so if you look at ebay's uh listings over time COVID was amazing for ebay um because people are cleaning out their houses or or buying and selling stuff um and so ebay benefited quite heavily from COVID. the second sort of benefit that we've all had and it's a major benefit within the hobby was the the government stimulus um and so for many people many people didn't need the government stimulus but they took the government stimulus and that became option tickets to do whatever you wanted to do do you want to play the lottery um which you know could could be good do you want to invest in 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 sports or, or bet in sports betting um fan duel and draft kings that did extremely well 
um, during 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 COVID? And or do you want to buy some sports cards, which started to really raise in value? And you know, there was a time period. There's probably nine months, twelve months of the sports card market where you couldn't lose. If you were losing in the sports card space, you know, you you were doing something wrong. And so, you know, the stimulus affected a lot of that and, and put quite a few dollars into the space and people that were buying $100 cards were flipping them for 600 bucks. The $600 cards were being flipped for 1200 bucks. And a lot of people came in. And then because there are a lot of eyes and ears and excitement within the hobby, the media picked up on it. And then we saw stories being written about, you know, from the Wall Street Journal to the New York Times, to the Washington Post, you know, ESPN, front front pages of ESPN.com, et cetera. You know, there are a ton of sports card um, uh, uh, articles being written. Some of them amazing articles about the history of cards and why we're in a boom right now. Others celebrating the, the highs of, of, of very specific cards that were trading, um, all generally generally good, um, but caused a lot of new entrants into the hobby, um, which is great, you know, some health, um, but also caused people to come in at a time of highs. Um, and uh, the downside is, you know, you come in at a time of high, um, you buy some stuff and all of a sudden you realize, uh-oh, if it trades down, you know, I'm holding the bag on, on a bunch of these cards. And so I look at, you know, the way I look at it from an investor perspective, it, and again, I'm a collector, but from the sports card industry, I also look at it from an investment perspective. Um, you know, the highs were like March of 2020, um, you know, and shortly thereafter. Well, I mean, let's let's credit that or blame that, uh, depending on what perspective you're taking. To I'm going to credit or blame to two things. One, yeah, there were no sports to watch. Yeah, right. Absolutely, yeah. we had to do something. And, we had to yeah. do something, and we wanted our sports. And the way to get the sports was cardboard. Yeah, and then the other thing was um, the Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. That was nice. Yes, I'm, I'm curious <laughs> though too, like. You know, there's the Magic Johnson stuff out now. There's some other ones coming. Um, I'm curious if it'll move the market similar to the way Blast Dance did for Jordan. Yeah, you know, you got the Derek Jeter, you got the Magic yep. Johnson, the Captain, Tom Brady one yep. that just went down. Um, and then there's a, a Lakers one, a full-blown Lakers one coming out uh, down the bike. These are all long-form uh, long, uh, long documentaries uh, chopped yeah. up into, you know, bite-sized bits on streaming. Uh, and yeah, no, that's a legit question. And I remember when Winning Time, uh, the Lakers HBO thing came out, which was phenomenal. I, I know yeah. you loved it. Um, I thought there was going to be a big Lakers bump. I thought we were going to see more interest in Magic Johnson and James Worthy, et cetera, et cetera. And that never really came to pass. No, it didn't. Um, uh, at least I hadn't seen it. I see it. Saw the. I saw the the content, but I didn't see the 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 bump in in Magic. But maybe it was priced in. Maybe the smart money knew yeah. that it was coming out and bought ahead of the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, after the show came out, um, you know, who knows? I, I, I don't know. Um, there is going to be a season two. We're completely getting off track now, but there is going to be a season two. Uh, and I wonder if if um, collectors are going to be paying a little more attention to that kind of thing. I mean, I know there were some big Magic Johnson memorabilia sales um, isolated. Yeah. But a few, uh, but you never heard anything about. Oh, someone bought this Magic Johnson ten uh, for whatever fifty thousand dollars. Just didn't hear about it. Right, right. I mean, I don't know what it is, but either way, all of it's great for the hobby because the more 
the more attention we can put on the history of you know some of these players and what was going on during those moments you know it builds additional layers to the onion that we all can peel back eventually at some point. <laughs> Um, speaking of onions, talk to me about how you peeled the onion or maybe even put together the onion to go from little Darren childhood collector to big Darren grown up collector who knows what he's talking about with the investing. How, talk to me about that journey. Uh, well, I don't know if I'm there. <laughs> it's, it's a lifelong <laughs> learning, uh, experience. Um, and and uh, I'm humbled by it every every single day. You know, there's the, you know, growing up, just collecting and buying the cheapest things I could buy with the allowance I was given at the White Plains card mm-hmm. shows in Westchester County, New York. <laughs> That's I lived in White Plains as I grew up, and I was fortunate to have that that card show in my hometown. And I was mm-hmm. pretty sure I, you know, made all the wrong moves as a kid. Um, but the right move <laughs> was I credit to my mom, and, and, and you and I have talked about this in the past, which is like she was fastidious about uh, making sure my brother and I cleaned up every single day. Like that was our thing in the house. Like nothing can be a mess. Now, mind you, if you see behind me, <laughs> my home office is a little bit of a mess. Um, but but growing up in, in my mother's household, you know, nothing could be left out. And um, she, you know, super OCD about that. But with that said, she taught us how to take care of our cards. Now, my mom grew up, you know, apple pie and, and frankfurters and in New York, you know, that was her thing. And, and uh, so she's, you know, part of Americana culture and, and, um, so she knew a little bit about sports cards and she knew that in a way and you watch the edges. So she was like the one who taught us about like penny sleeves and 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 uh in cases or or binders, essentially. And so as like little kids, we just put stuff away in a nice way. Like they probably were they weren't great cards, but at least we took care of them. And so, you know, when I rediscovered my collection, um uh, really in 2019 is when I started to get back into it, but really got into buying more cards in 2020. Um, I, I rediscovered it and they were in great condition and, uh, you know, we took care of them. And uh, then my kids got into collecting and I was buying him packs of cards, but I wasn't really even paying attention. Uh, but, you know, when I looked at how he was collecting um, or, or the way he took care of his cards, I was a bad dad because I didn't teach him how to how to take care <laughs> of his cards. And so, you know, the 2017 rookie year was pretty good in basketball. And my son loves basketball. And so he's got all the all the major rookie cards. The problem is they're, they're cracked or, or, or dented <sighs> or, or corners or, you know, and it's all on me. And so. You know, I've gotten back into it through the love of re- like bonding with my children, both of them, my daughter and my son, um, oh, and wow. uh, experiencing the hobby together. Um, and my wife's in the hobby, um, screaming at the three of us. <laughs> and <laughs> and, and uh, the uh, you know, so it's like a full family event where you know she keeps us in check and our spending levels and and. Uh, you know, the kids and I have, you know, different avenues. All of us have completely different swim lanes and uh, we appreciate it. And then I'll just say, like, the one thing I've learned since being back pretty hardcore the last few years is it's not the card. I, I love the cards. Don't get me wrong. The cards are amazing, but it's also the relationships. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you and, you know, other folks that I've met and, and have consistently kept up with and seen and some of you I've met in person and other people I've just, you know, had been virtual. But, you know, from the 
the text groups to the Instagrams to the Facebook groups to the just emails um, is is quite incredible. Um, and uh, I'd like to say like, you know, some of the hobby friends are actually like legitimate friends. Um, and, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, my, my son had a bar mitzvah last year and a couple of guys sent him cards like it was wow. that have never like met him in person, but purely just sent him cards for the bar mitzvah. All right, so something you and I have spoken about uh, in the past uh, many times, and I, I think it's just such a really smart way of looking at collecting. Okay? And, and a, a smart way of looking at investing in general is short-term investments, medium-term investments, long-term investments, right? That's something that you have, have preached about time and again. Give me a little breakdown as to what each of these, these, uh, these things are and the pluses and minuses of each in the context of card collecting. So I'm gonna not use the context of card collecting in the short term of this answer. Okay. Um, and so, you know, if you're, so if you're investing uh, and this is either corporate or yourself if personally or your family or whatever, um, you generally have a portfolio of investments or should have a portfolio of investments. And what I mean by that is you don't just make one investment. One, like a single investment into a single thing, even if it's low risk, is still high risk. Um, and the reason why you have a portfolio of investments is is two reasons. And just a portfolio of investment means just multiple investments. It's a portfolio of multiple things that you're investing. And there's there's two reasons at least that come right to mind for me. There may be more why you may do that. Um, one is you're spreading risk. Um, and so even something that you may consider a low risk still has risk. And there is a possibility. Like, nothing is almost zero risk. Like, <laughs> there's no such thing. And even 1% risk is still 1% risk. Um, and so if you have a portfolio, you're kind of hedging your risk amongst multiple uh, uh, assets, let's call it. Um, the second uh, reason why you may have a portfolio uh, is time horizon. Uh, and so what I mean by time horizon is you may make moves to invest in things that are going to recognize uh, uh, capital or recognize alpha within a year, you, which is short term. Um, you may have investments in things that may recognize capital within you know two, three, four years, medium term. And then you may have super long-term plays. Um, and, and so in a portfolio, you kind of want a mixture of all uh, and recycle that money back into the portfolio. And what I mean by recycle is if you have a bunch of stuff that's one or less than a year or one year or two year, um, that's going to return some capital, you may take 60%, I'd say, of, of whatever that capital is put it back into the investment uh, 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 portfolio uh, and then take the other 40% and go use it and go, I don't know, go buy ice cream <laughs> or, 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 or go buy your kids a, go buy your kids a present or something. That's not an investment. Um, and, and so, so, you know, I always preach that, you know, healthy portfolios are a mixture of both, you know, you're spreading your risk um, looking at time horizon and, and ultimately you always have a portfolio of investments over time. 
And and that portfolio can change. Like your risk tolerance can change over time. Right now, my risk tolerance is super low because I don't like where the markets are today. <laughs> I don't like the economy. I don't like the worldwide situation. Uh, personally, it's nothing to do with business, but personally, I just don't like it. So there's there's things that I've done financially on the personal side to lessen my risk exposure uh, with where the world is uh, today. Now let's bring this back to cards. Um, and so, which is where Alan, you were you were originally going with this, which is you know if you think about um, you know where there's less risk versus more risk. Saw over the last two years was there seemed to be this super low risk mentality and still go crazy with that card. Like that eight month off the bench, base prism, like nothing special about it, uh, still was rising in price. And, and that wasn't the case. Um, and so I'd say that where a lot of the smart money went was some, a term that you know I've talked about in the past, which is like the Mount Rushmore of cards. The goats. Um, yeah, the goats. And and it's almost like if you're staying in the middle of the fairway, um, you know, you're going to have less risk than, you, you know, some of the shots that go wider. Now, in order to win, you know, a championship golf event, sometimes going down the fairway is not what you need to do in order to pull ahead. Right. You need to take some risk. Um, and so, you know, so, you know, for some of the collectors out there, they'll have some core cards you know right now you know the 52 mantle is you know everyone's excited about it the 33 gaudi roof or you know the jordan star is the hot one right now like those are like it's very hard to argue with cards if you take a long-term time horizon um but then they layer on some kind of you know speculative jumps so uh, investing right now in a zion or an Anthony Edwards, or even you know other types of players that pretend Jason Tatum. Like they have the the alpha opportunity, but do come with risk. And those are those guys. You know, are certainly not on the Mount Rushmore by any means. Um, but they've shown potential to to potentially get there. And they've got a few seasons. Well, maybe not Zion, but the other ones have a couple of seasons under their belt where they've shown um, you know potential to get there. And so. You know, I would, you know, when I look at portfolio construction, you want a little bit of, of, or you want to, you know, weight it in certain ways based upon the risk you want to take. And so, you know, I'll give it the, la I'll shut up in a second, but like a high risk. No, don't shut up. Don't shut up. <laughs> like, like a high risk portfolio would be more speculative than down the fairway. A low risk portfolio would be like, down the fairway cards with maybe one or you know a little bit you know maybe five ten fifteen percent of of uh, speculative uh, stuff and uh, so that's you know from an investing perspective um, you know that's how I look at uh, card collecting um, you know from a collecting perspective all that's out the window like you know I do what I do because I love regardless of whether it's down the fairway or you know, over the lake <laughs> or over the pond, which is the risky shot to take in golf. Um, but it doesn't matter to me because I do it because I absolutely love it. And, you know, if it returns in the future, great. And if it doesn't, you know, I still have smiles today and potentially even more smiles than if I was investing.
A uh, couple points to to circle back to what you're saying. One, um, you didn't say the word diversify, but that is probably the the biggest word, the biggest buzzword, the biggest factoid, the biggest uh, impetus behind putting together any kind of portfolio, right? Yeah, and and maybe I should have said it. I was implicit in the word diversify when I said portfolio, um, but I guess I didn't. So I guess I only use basketball examples. Um, you know, a good diversity would be on that Mount Rushmore. It's not just like Kareem, Wilt, Michael, LeBron. <laughs> it's it's uh, Wayne, <laughs> um, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky, Jordan. It's uh, Tiger Woods and it's, uh, you know, Will Chamberlain, I don't know. Um, but there's, there's a diversity to the types of cards. Um, so you can look at diversity to the types of cards, uh, the sport. You could, do, you could do diversity to vintage. Um, and when I say vintage, not just vintage. So you could look at the decades or the years um, that you can play diversity to. So, you know, you could be a basketball investor, but have like 1950s route much more uh, you know, George Mikan, uh, you know, 1960s, 1970s, 80s, 90s, et cetera, and have one or two players from each of those. You could do it that way. Spread it out, diversify. Um, you know, you can diversify uh, across a, a number of horizons. That's that's totally okay. It's the same way that you would do it in the financial markets. Uh, in terms of and, and what you're saying about the diversification, uh, I know you're a hardcore NBA guy. I know that you were collecting uh, vintage cards, like putting together uh, very specific vintage card uh, classes in, in your uh, beautiful collection yourself. But what are you seeing right now in terms of vintage versus modern? Uh, are, are people gravitating towards vintage goats? Uh, are they gravitating towards modern goats? Uh, is there diversification going on? What do you see well, I th so I think there's diversification going on. I mean, I can't speak for everyone and I don't have a perfect snapshot of the market at any given time, but, but sure. you know what I've, there, there is no perfect shot snapshot of the market at any given time. No. That's not a thing. <laughs> no, but you know what I've witnessed probably uh, uh, two, two things I've witnessed and, and maybe I'm wrong. Um, and, 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 and I'd love to know if others, you know, witness the same, you know, the last two years in basketball really overemphasize super modern. Um, you know, it was all, all super modern, um, with all the new money coming into basketball. Uh, and, and yes, did vintage sell? Yes. But the dollar, you could not buy anything on a store shelf for like over a year. And then when you could buy things on a store shelf, they were still moving. And so it was all the super modern stuff because the vintage stuff doesn't sit on store shelves um, in a Target, Walmart, et cetera. Um, uh, in your local SES, maybe. Um, but what I've seen is, you know, the natural human tendency, and this plays out almost everywhere, um, which is a reversion back to the mean. Uh, and so anytime you go so far in one direction, you kind of snap back uh, the other way um, and, and you balance out somewhere in between the two. And so we were so far into super modern um, that we kind of, you know, a lot of the folks were saying, all right, the like people are just getting upset at the pricing of cards or, or you know, all these players that were trading well above their where they should have been. Um, snap back. And so a lot of folks, you know, went and started looking at vintage really fast because the, you know, you could, you could buy a vintage Chamberlain or Russell or someone for the price of a, you know, you, you could buy a Russell rookie 
for less than the price of like a a second year Zion or something like that, which is crazy. Um, uh, and and so uh, you know, there's like a snapback to some folks within the space. Not all. I don't know where we're gonna land. Um, but you know, I'm happy that you know folks are looking at vintage again. Um, and the reason for that is because that usually unearths cards that we haven't seen in a while. Um, and you know, when there's demand coming into a space, people look into their collections, people go to the attic, people go to the basement, they find stuff that they haven't seen in forever, and then you know, make them available. Uh, and and so what usually happens is that stuff becomes available. So the demand is there, the supply isn't. Whatever was bought was bought, and it's forcing prices up because the supply is less than the demand ends up happening is the supply starts to catch up uh, and all of a sudden you have sometimes too much supply for the demand that's there and that's when that's when uh, prices start to come down a bit yeah and and you know the an extreme example of that obviously is the junk wax era that's extreme yeah. and i don't think anybody thinks that we're headed that way again i think the manufacturers know that that was such a big black stain on the hobby uh, that they ain't touching it. But yeah, no, that's the thing. Um, there's manufactured scarcity and there's flooding the market. And it's natural. It's like, you know, humans are humans. You never see the full picture of anything at any given time. And so, yeah. you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. And capitalism is capitalism. And, and, and markets, you know, these are all markets and markets work in cycles and, you know, it go a market goes up and a market goes down and you know it's very rare that a market stays you know the same over time and you know uh i've taught in in my day job as an investor you know the one thing that you're taught over and over again is patience and you may really like something like there are car there are play, like Zion rookies right now. So I'm on a Zion kick. So that's my bias. But I like the guy. I'm a heavy guy. You know, I got a lot of similarities with that guy. And it at least, you know. So I, wait, wait, wait. You got a lot of similarities in that you're heavy, but you can still dunk. I can dunk with my son on like a, a seven and a half foot rim. And I feel so Woo! good. When I go yeah. Oh, Darren and go. <laughs> look at me. Yeah. Bring me on. I can do any of those dunks. And and uh problem is I can't palm a ball. So it's even harder. Uh... completely anecdotal question i know you have all kinds of talks with all kinds of different collectors and all kinds of different collecting spaces um in terms of sports in terms of which sports uh are out there nfl nba mlb soccer uh, auto racing etc cetera, etc cetera, what to you have you noticed any notable movement on be it up upwards or downwards yeah i mean so you know i think uh for a hot minute you know, um, uh, sort of the auto, all genres of auto racing were taking off for, you know, a hot moment. That's old news. You know, if you're in the hobby, you know, that's old news. But then the, you know, the natural seasonality of the sports leagues, you know, are, are playing, you know, as normal again, which is nice. And what I mean by normal again was COVID wasn't good to the start and end dates of the professional sports leagues on a normal calendar basis. So if you think about, you know, baseball, you know, April was pitchers and catchers and, you know, league was starting March, 
whatever was and the leagues are starting to you know be on a, on a certain time basis basketball similarly you know games starting you know preseason october uh, uh mid-october late october early november you know first games football you know similar time well just before that time horizons COVID kind of changed the calendars up bubbles <laughs> the, the basketball bubble was not during those time horizons and and so now we're kind of getting back to the, the calendar that we had pre-COVID um, and that's now getting people back into their normal hobby routine uh, because, you know, uh, the best times to buy are in the off season, um, the best times to sell are in season. Um, and so um, now we're getting back to that and, and everyone's, you know, settling back into routines, not to say that COVID is over, but at least we are, you know, getting back to pre-COVID schedules, and hopefully that then evens out what we're seeing. Uh, before I let you go, um, memorabilia. What are you seeing with memorabilia? Uh, we're, you know, obviously focused on the cards here at CSG, but there's been all kinds of movement in the memorabilia world, uh, not just with goats, uh, but with just stuff that, like the, the rise of quality authentication, the rise of quality photo matching, I think has made uh, memorabilia, which was already attractive, that much more attractive. What are you seeing? I love it. I, I, you know, there's some really smart people talking about it. Um, I think Patrick Ryan had a really good point that, you know, for the less than the price of a piece of cardboard and an autograph on, on a card, you can go buy the actual jersey with the auto, with the sweat stains that that player wore on, on the floor. And I, the I dig sweat stains on my memorabilia. I don't know about you. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I mean, that's what you're going for, right? Like, if you're buying game-worn, uh, you know, you know, not everyone's Patrick Ewing, but like the, Patrick Ewing can sweat. Patrick Ewing can sweat. For those of you who do not uh, go and Google Patrick Ewing and sweat. It will be the grossest thing you've seen all week. Yeah. And, and but like the, 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 the amazing thing is about like the game worn memorabilia, you know, this market has been so quiet for a while. I was actually on blowout the other day and I think I posted this on my Instagram, but someone was tracking rookie year game worn uh, 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 jerseys for basketball. It wasn't just rookie years, rookie debut. Um, and was looking at the price of rookie debuts from like the last 10 years to today. And it is just climbed, climb, climb, climbed. And it's unbelievable um, where it is. But the thing that I still shake my head on is like a rookie debut jersey for a major player is is quite incredible to own. I I believe uh, you know that strikes my fancy, um, but the price mismatch is uh, is is insane. Like sometimes the rookie debut jersey signed is a lot cheaper than buying the key rookie card of that respective player. Now a lot a lot, a lot. Yeah. and but that also goes for reasons for that you know. Um, but, but and, and the main reason, you know, someone would call out is probably the demand. Um, you know, some people just don't want a, jer a jersey. It takes a ace or, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. It's hard to hang, et cetera. Um, but if you think about it, it's a one-on-one -on -one. and, or maybe it's a one-on-two because a, a basketball player may have wore a jersey in the first half of the game and change it up in the second half of the game. Um, Jason Tatum uh, is a big time uh, Jersey changer. Apparently he, and uh, apparently he also kind of set some of them aside for the purposes of 
uh, collecting or memorabilia. I don't have uh, I don't have uh, official confirmation of that, but I've heard things. I think it's super cool. Like I've got a little, you know, I've I've branched out a bit, and I've got a bunch of memorabilia. I set up like a man cave or 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 a, a, a sports cave downstairs, and um, some of the best pickups I've had, to be honest, of game worn stuff is actually not eBay and not anything like that. It's at um, charity auctions that I've happened to be at. Um, totally. That are like, it's a, it's a charity auction. For, like I'm part of the digital media community in, in New York and Boston and uh, from my previous life. And I went to a charity auction purely just thinking about like Google, Facebook, Yahoo, et cetera. And uh-huh. I ended up bidding on like game worn stuff from like Obi Toppin and other New York Knicks. And I was like, over the moon like i had no intention of any sports related thing at that particular at that auction um and there just happened to be and i was like this is amazing and there was like very little competition and so you know just keep your eyes and ears open because you never know where you're going to find the stuff and uh, it was all authenticated by the major authentication houses and i was super excited about that and so that might it, it's cool it's all downstairs I, I'm, I'm really enjoying that stuff i cannot wait to see your man cave hey if someone wants to track you down where would they find you on the instagrams the instagrams would be midlife crisis cards and so that's a name given to me by my daughter when I got back into cards and she's like, dad, you're having a midlife crisis. And I knew that I knew that I knew the backstory, <laughs> knew the name, but I just want to hear it from you. <laughs> it's uh, it's stuck. I want to make a shirt of it. And because uh, everyone, every time I say like it's midlife crisis cards, people are like, that's a cool name. And uh, the next card show I walk around, I want to like wear a hat or a shirt or something that says midlife crisis cards that so people can like put a face to the name kind of thing. We are getting some Darren Herman swag. It's happening. Darren, yeah. thank you so much for schooling me. I, I've heard this chat three, four, five times. It never fails to intrigue and uh, entertain and educate. I appreciate that, Alan. Always good to be here. And, uh, you know, anytime, happy to be. Anytime. Yay. <laughs> Whether it's a 1986 Michael Jordan Fleer rookie card, a Tom Brady Playoff Contenders rookie card from 2000, or, I don't know, a Marv Throneberry card that came out of a post cereal box in 1963, and yes, that's a thing. Certified Sports Guarantee will grade your sports cards quickly and accurately. A subsidiary of Certified Collectibles Group, CSG graded over 1 million cards in its first year plus on the sports collecting scene, the fastest any grading company has hit that mark. The speedy turnaround times provided by the knowledgeable, passionate team of expert sports car graders will make your CSG experience smooth, efficient, and most importantly, fair. Regardless of the athlete, the sport, or the condition of your card, CSG will treat it with the love and respect it deserves. For more information about CSG, visit CSGcards.com. That's CSG, your go-to sports card grading company. We hope you enjoyed Collect This, powered by CSG. Collect This was hosted, written, produced, engineered, and scored by Alan Goldshire. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at collectthis at csgcards.com. 